Welcome to San Francisco City Insider, the San Francisco Chronicle podcast on the people and politics making headlines in the city by the bay. I'm Chronicle columnist Heather Knight, and I'm here today with Jonathan Mosconi. He's the chief producer of the Yerba Buena Center for the Arts, which has a big weekend coming up. He's also the son of the late San Francisco mayor, George Mosconi, and he's reminiscing about what it was like growing up with such a famous dad and that horrible day he learned his father had been assassinated along with supervisor Harvey Milk. I'll be right back with Jonathan Mosconi. Jonathan Mosconi, thank you for joining me today. Good to be here. You are the chief producer of the Yerba Buena Center for the Arts, and you have a big weekend coming up. It's the YBCA 100 Summit, which honors those on the 2019 YBCA 100 list, which you described as the gifted artists, leaders, activists, thinkers, movers, and dreamers who are using their creative and political power to enact change. Who are some of the people on that list that you're especially excited about highlighting? Oh, my gosh. Well, this is the first year we've had um, the plurality of our list is local. Uh-huh. And um, that was intentional, our part, to look inside of the Bay Area and see all the people who are doing what they do here. Um, someone, people like June Grant, who is one of 400 um, uh, architects in this country who mm-hmm. are an African-American woman. That is amazing to that number, but what she's doing to use her design firm, an architecture firm, to to develop neighborhoods with a focus on equity hmm. and inclusion is deeply inspiring. And she's um, she's going to be speaking. And we we have Rita Morano, yes. who actually is local. She lives in Berkeley, and I've I've always been a, a you know in massive crush on <laughs> Rita, and I saw her speak uh, a year ago in D.C. on Arts Advocacy Day, and she just gets up there and she just lays it out there. She's she, a powerhouse. Huh? She's a powerhouse. Um, and uh, Adrienne Marie Brown, who's a writer and a social justice activist, and she's a she's called a pleasure activist. In fact, she has a book, has a book called Pleasure Activism. What is that? An emergent strategy is how to find joy in your activism. How oh. to how to identify your joyful self in, cha- in when you're trying to change the world because it's a uh, it's a brutal and yeah. a lot of work. Yeah. Um, so those are some of the people who I'm really thrilled about. Um, um, Marvin K. White, who is at Glide Memorial Church, and he he is going to give us a blessing at the end of the day, and he's one of the most inspiring people. He did a, an, a homily at Grace Cathedral last year as part of an event we did about what it means to be gay, and it was a homily. It was like you got up. It was it was almost Pentecost. You got up and you just wow. cheered at the end. So these are people who are 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 activating their creativity from every angle, whether they are artists or whether they're architects or, or like Amanda Wynn who runs RISE, which is an organization that um, uh, teaches communities how to enact legislative change. Mm-hmm. Um, these people are getting stuff done. Yeah, It's one thing to be critical. It's another thing to try to get things done. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it sounds like an inspiring weekend. Yeah. And you've been at the Yerba Buena Center for the Arts since 2015 and previously served as the artistic director for California Shakespeare Theater. What is it like to work in and promote the arts these days in a city that is increasingly losing its artists because nobody can afford to live here? Um, it is the reason I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the, the, I don't know if the arts were ever safe Mm-hmm. as a, an industry, but they were certainly safer 
than they have been now. And the real, um, the real threat of loss of not just the individual artists, but what they do, which is imagine solutions mm-hmm. for us, what they do and where they come from and the aspirations they enact through their work that provide another narrative for our city, for our Bay Area, that isn't the base narrative of what, you know, when we see things that are happening on the street, we just want them gone. And Mm -hmm. we just want this fixed. We want that changed. Uh, Artists have a capacity to think about how to do that with a deeper question and a way of doing that creatively and inspirationally that if they're deployed inside of the right conversations that aren't necessarily in a room where they're just making a beautiful piece of art, they are destined to be some of the most important and powerful people, the change agents that we need Mm -hmm. in a city that is so beautiful and so complicated mm-hmm. and so naughty. And I mean with a K-N-O-T-T-Y <laughs> naughty. It's the other naughty too. <laughs> and it is that. But um, we need these people. Mm-hmm. And so the job that I have now is dedicated to finding ways to uh, center them in the the issues that are intractable mm-hmm. uh, in our city in the Bay Area. And, and hopefully that inspires more around the country. And do you think San Francisco still values the arts and theater as much as ever? Or do you think residents have different priorities in today's booming economy and are kind of moving away from supporting the arts? Well, we we ran a campaign to restore the uh, um, relationship between the hotel tax, mm-hmm. uh, which um, began in 1961 to support arts funding in San Francisco and gradually was eroded and folded into the general fund of San Francisco because indeed – Uh, In tougher times, the city needed the money. And um, while while the priorities were set differently by the city at the time, we as artists and arts organizations felt that uh, we needed to put this to the vote of the people Mm -hmm. and see if uh, we could uh, um, reconnect uh, the tax to the arts. And so we polled and we polled. At 67 percent, and we needed to make at least 67 percent of the vote, and we won on election night in November with 75 percent of the vote. So that, to me, the direct answer to your question is 75 percent of people (laughs) agreed with us. So I I think 75 percent of San Franciscans don't agree on anything. So in fact, nothing. Yeah. Right. So they did. And I think that was proof. You know, I, I listened to Barney Frank, who was a, you know, one of my idols in mm-hmm. Congress, you know, first openly gay serving congressman. And he, the answer to a question, I was at an event and he, someone said, how do you know that? And he said, that's what the polls say. <laughs> and that's what pe- – so when people say that, that's what the people want. Yeah. And so the answer to that question is, yeah, that's what they wanted. Yeah. That's cool. And let's be clear. The mayor was behind it. The mm-hmm. supervisors mm-hmm. were behind it. So we weren't in contrast to the current administration. So fortunately, we weren't necessarily 75 percent of the city going against the city hall. Yeah. We were all working together. Yeah, that's good yeah. and rare. Um. <laughs> that's right. Good and rare. Let's hold on to these moments. Yeah. You are, of course, practically San Francisco royalty with the last name Moscone. Your dad was George Moscone, who was a supervisor when you were born. I've been reading up on you. you uh. And he later became state senator and mayor. And I read that you credit him with sparking your love of theater. Can you tell me more about that? He loved theater. Did he? He was – yeah. He loved theater. He loved movies. He loved opera. And um, he took me to theater. He 
he was – took us to movies. He took – I remember his for the first R-rated movie we saw. We went to the House of what Shield. Was it? We saw The Longest Yard oh. with Burt Reynolds. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, I don't know. It was a special day. He took me out in his little Alfa Romeo. <laughs> he took me for a drink. He gave me a drink. I was like 13 at the time. I didn't really drink it, but he was so proud of that. Um, and when I went to SI – uh, St. Ignatius, where he had gone to school, my brother went to school, and all my nieces and nephews went to school. Um, uh, I joined the theater right off the bat. You know, I wasn't, a, I was not a sports geek. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> sports geek. I love that. <laughs> I just coined a new phrase. Down with the sports geeks. Um, <laughs> I got into theater, and I came home, and he couldn't have been prouder. You know, and to see that, you know, he in some ways he had a kind of great Santini quality. He was hyper competitive. He was great at sports. But the last thing he did was make me feel anything but amazing for mm-hmm. being a, a, an, an act, and then an actor. Uh-huh. So I think it was a combination of his support and the fact that as my dad and as a boy coming into his adolescence, I was fully accepted. I never questioned any of it. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. What was it like growing up with such a well-known father? Um, well, it was hard to compare it, though I did often compare it to a lot of my friends' parents who I thought were because they were home every day. Mm-hmm. You know, when my dad was in Senate, he was away for a lot of the – in fact, most of the week mm-hmm. except for on the, on the, the recesses. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sometimes he was home on weekends and sometimes he had to stay up in Sacramento or travel down to L.A. Um, so he was like a special guest mm-hmm. in my life and mm-hmm. scary in that regard, um, uh, and fabulous and kind of mythic in dad's in dadness. Mm-hmm. You know, he was um, a very sort of masculine, uh, strong, good-looking, just confident man. Mm-hmm. And um, so that was kind of hard to have as a kind of in and out of my life. But um, he always gave us a good time. Mm-hmm. We always did great things with him. Um, my mom was sort of stuck with the dirty work, so I think you asked <laughs> her the, the kids. Yeah. yeah, she had to be all the cops in the, in the house. Um, and then when he became mayor, he was home. Mm-hmm. He was home every day after school. Mm-hmm. I would go to city hall. Mm-hmm. I would bring my backpack to the back room. I take my, um, I do homework back there, or I go to the um, uh, main library and do my homework. It was kind of awesome. That is it awesome. was really both super special mm-hmm. and kind of normal mm. at that point. And, mm-hmm. it, and I think what the suckiest part mm-hmm. for my time in life at that point was that that was the shortest lived relationship, mm. part of the relationship I had. Yeah. Because that ended two years in. Just two years. Yeah. yeah. Did you spend a lot of time at City Hall in those two years? Oh, yeah. yeah. I was kind of annoying. <laughs> I'm sure I probably still am when I show up at City Hall. But um, yeah, I loved it. There were it was just so much fun. Yeah. And it's his, such a gorgeous building. It was. Yeah. And he had a, he had this really cool desk. Uh, that was so weird. It was a desk that was someone had given him, or I don't know, given the city, and it was, and it would push a button and it would rise up, mm-hmm. so he could give speeches from it. It had a television in it, in a console, and it had a phone. It was like this early James Bondy wow. kind of thing, and it sat just living in our basement after he died mm-hmm. and just fell apart. Where did? Do you still have it? Or, yeah, no. it's long gone. My mother hated it. I was like, <laughs> I don't like that desk. It's not classic. It's not what a mayor should have. <laughs> anyway, it was cool. I remember playing around a lot. That is cool. Yeah. And so you were 14 when he died, mm-hmm. um, assassinated w- along with Supervisor Harvey Milk um, by Dan White. That was nearly 41 years ago next month. Um, mm-hmm. Does it seem like that long? And what do you remember about that day? Uh, 
Uh, I think because we're getting towards the anniversary um, of his death, which is a couple of days around his birthday. Oh. Um, How old would he have been next month? Oh, gosh. He would. He died when he was 48, so 41 years ago. Mm-hmm. So that would be 89. Mm-hmm. Is that right? I think so. Yeah. None 89 or 90, <laughs> I think, by that point. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, it, what happens is you get into a kind of – our family kind of gets into a bit of a – a funk, mm. and we for many years we didn't really understand why we were bitter, bickering mm-hmm. with each other, and it mm-hmm. was just because it just was like this weird undertow mm-hmm. that we wouldn't, and we weren't really, we're not a super talkative family around it. Like, mm-hmm. how do you feel about mm-hmm. it? It's yeah. never because the answer is never like, oh, it's I feel good. So I can, I think I feel it more right now. So mm-hmm. it kind of comes and goes in waves, mm-hmm. and um, I do think about him right now, this month, this. I don't know, past couple of weeks, I'm thinking about him so much, mm-hmm. and I don't know why, mm-hmm. but I am. Mm-hmm. So it feels very, very recent mm-hmm. uh, to me. I remember everything mm-hmm. about that day, although I think maybe what I remember is about 10 days squashed into one mm-hmm. or one days into 10. I can't mm-hmm. remember the days themselves because I don't remember sleeping. Mm-hmm. I don't remember anyone sleeping. We were never alone. We were kind of on watch. Mm-hmm. We had family, friends, police. Everybody was just there all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, it was it was, um, it was was unfathomable. And kind of living through the unfathomable uh, is um, just not something you forget, though um, – and it makes you a little um, um, just like low-level depressed. Yeah, yeah. But um, uh, it also um, never has kept any of us in our family, certainly not me, um, from being engaged mm-hmm. in the world. And um, I love the city too much to to check out of it. Yeah. Um. For listeners who were born after your father died, uh, what would you want them to know about him? Oh, man. Well, um, a lot of things. Uh, I think many things that people don't know about him surround his time as a legislator mm-hmm. in the Senate. I mean, anyone who knows politics enough to see the difference here would completely understand that when you're in a legislative body, you can get much more done than when you're in an executive body. Mm-hmm. Um, and he passed – so many of the first legislations in this country um, uh, for gay gay rights bill in this country was passed by my father. Mm. And um, the uh, school lunch program was passed by my father. Um, there were so many things that he did which were firsts. Uh-huh. Um, he was the first to do a, a, the first form of legalizing marijuana. I think he got it down to like anything below an ounce. Um, George Miller, the former congressman, has a great story about that. You should ask him. Uh-huh. Uh, he has to tell it. It's so good <laughs> because he was his chief of staff. Oh. And he, he was able to get it to an ounce, like not counting buds or something <laughs> or not counting uh, seeds. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I guess that's Funny. what they did. I guess they like to smoke in the uh, back then, my dad and George. And then I think that the, those things are kind of important because they were instigators of real you know, policy change. But the big sort of grander policy change that he enacted in San Francisco in his brief, brief time is mm-hmm. um, is who was in the building, mm-hmm. who were on commissions, mm-hmm. who were appointed, who were uh, who ultimately ran for supervisor, who then ultimately became mayor. And you look at City Hall now, mm-hmm. and I don't know if 
without my dad, it wouldn't have happened. But he did it. Yeah. And he did it really, really early. Diversified. Yeah, yeah. And I think most people don't really know. I think people over a certain age know this. But before that, the power structure of San Francisco was um, Democrat in name only. It mm-hmm. was very much um, kind of this religious Democrat, dem- Democrats, these kind of rich business Democrats. So there all was men, a, right? All, mm-hmm. all men. Yeah, mm-hmm. they all look – if you look at all the, the bronze statues, they all look alike. They yeah. all look like – yeah, they could be Rep- Republican. They could mm-hmm. be anybody. They mm-hmm. just, but they were, and it just it was a top down city, fully top down city. And my dad was much less top down mm-hmm. uh, of a of a man uh, as a legislator. You know, uh, Heather, I'll get this to you because it's such an amazing uh, speech. I was given this speech, uh, the one that my dad gave to announce that he was running for mayor, and mm-hmm. this was in December of 1974. And there's a paragraph at the beginning, and he says, "This city does." not belong to white men. This city belongs to people of God. I mean, he named to, and he named it in 74. Wow. And, and he said, and then he said things like, you know, going to work on the, on the Muni should be a joy. <laughs> and I was like, wow, that was then. Did and he take Muni to work? Uh, he did until, no, no. <laughs> when he became, when he became, Mayor, he was so excited. He didn't want to have – OK, this may be apocryphal, but I do like to tell this story as if uh-huh. it isn't. But, you know, he really – he of course, he was a street kid. Mm-hmm. He grew up in San Francisco and he would wake up every morning when he was running for mayor uh, and ride from the beginning of Muni to the end and he would just shake hands. So mm-hmm. man knew the streets of San Francisco. And so when he said – when he became mayor, he's like, I'm not going to get a limo. I'm not going to have a driver. And he bought himself a little sports car. And then John Barbagelato, whom he had beaten, uh, tried to recall him oh. and created a recount. And my dad got so pissed. <laughs> and so he won resoundingly this recount, uh-huh. my dad. And John Barbagelato just left um, uh, politics and I think very soon after my dad got a driver. It's like I'm the I'm the effing mayor. I'm the mayor. I need a driver. And I kind of was like, all right, yeah. That's I'm funny. not even sure that story is true, but I I've kind let's of built it, it up as to let's say it is. Yeah, I like it. Does San Francisco seem like a totally different place from when you were a kid, or are there still parts of it that are familiar to you? Yeah. Yes, and yes. Mm-hmm. Um, it is very very different in in some ways that I think we all hyper focus on. Right. If you were to really look around along Mission Street or even to uh, parts of downtown or south of Market, you would see a city that didn't exist before. Mm-hmm. Um, I grew up on the west side. Um, Which I neighborhood? Have, we grew up on Mount Davidson, oh, just yeah. below the cross. Mm-hmm. And then when my dad was elected, we moved to um, St. Francis Wood. Mm-hmm. Um, went to high school down there. Went mm-hmm. to grammar school at the top of Knob Hill. It's Notre Dame de Victoire. But most of our lives was on the west side. And you see the west side, and that doesn't – it's very, very much the same. Yeah. And even though the, the stores on West Portal are slightly different, it's pretty much West pretty Portal. Similar, yeah. Yeah. So and, – and I've uh, started to ride my bike more. My husband is an inveterate bike rider. And so when you ride the bike, mm-hmm. ride your bicycle, you actually see the city in the same way you did when you were young. Mm-hmm. You kind of see it from the – you're like, oh – that's what that stoop looked like. That looked like yeah. that too. Um, so, uh, yeah, we all know how much it has changed. Mm-hmm. I think that narrative has been really deeply, deeply um, ingrained. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, you did when you did the, the uh, 
the 49 mile? Yeah. 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 I mean, you, you, you heard stories. Uh-huh. It, it's not quite that way. It's uh-huh. a much more complex narrative than yeah. I think has been shared, in, has been told internally mostly, mm-hmm. and certainly from an external point of view, mm-hmm. um, not to diminish the inequity. Right. But um, it, it it still is San Francisco. A lot of the neighborhoods are are very similar to yeah. How they kind been. of some of them really are yeah. Except some for of them who are, can afford to live there. But that, yeah. yeah, I mean we all know that, and that's yeah, yeah. not that's nothing that's nothing to 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 diminish. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but you know, there's like that great movie. You know, the the last black man in San mm-hmm. Francisco that yeah, Joe Talbot that did. That's such a great movie. Oh my god, it's, it's such a great movie. But at the end, he's riding the he's riding the bus, and there's mm-hmm. those two young women, mm-hmm. and they're like, "I hate San Francisco. I hate San Francisco." <laughs> and he just looks up and he says, "Where are you from?" And they said, "Where are they from? How long have you been there? Do you do you like San Francisco? I don't know." It's like, "Well, I'm from San Francisco, and I love San Francisco, which means." I can hate San Francisco. Yeah. But if you don't love San Francisco, you can't hate San Francisco. Right. And I was like, I went, amen. <laughs> like I was like in the audience, that was totally true. That's exactly yeah. true. So there are times when I hate San Francisco. It's because I love it. Yeah. I feel like it's the same way with your family. Like you can talk badly about a relative, but nobody else can. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, what do you think your dad would make of San Francisco circa 2019? I think – some of the stories I know about him and what I understand about him, certainly around, say, Yerba Buena, mm-hmm. was that he was certainly not someone who was going to stand up against development, but he was going to make sure that the right people were in the room to inform the development of the mm-hmm. city. Mm-hmm. And that's what enabled Yerba Buena to move forward. And um, so I don't think San Francisco would have not developed had my dad had mm-hmm. you know six more years. But I think he would have established more of a precedent and a more of a policy of who was included mm-hmm. in the decision-making process about how neighborhoods were developed. And I think that would be the part that if he were not able to have made that happen, mm-hmm. I think he would have bemoaned that. Mm-hmm. Because I think that 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 we kind of lost sight of that mm-hmm. in the 80s. Yeah. And I think it just continued. Yeah. That's what I believe. Well, you've survived my serious questions. Oh, my gosh. Did I do okay? <laughs> Very well. You know, um, just so I could bring it back to the summit for a second because uh-huh. I think it's important. You know, um, th- one of the things that's important for me about this summit and this list is, and why it's focused on local is because, uh, Heather, about mm-hmm. the, the narrative that I, I think is, uh, is so um, just be- being pounded and pounded mm-hmm. in many, many ways. Um, in in conversations around the city and, and nationally about you know tech versus bad tech 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 San mm-hmm. Francisco is not you know all these things and there is truth in some of that mm-hmm. but there is so much diversity and there's mm-hmm. so much creativity and there's so many people doing so many amazing things yeah. that we have to sometimes stand up and tell that story oh for sure not to erase the other story but to tell more than one narrative yeah. And so that's what this is. That's what drives me in this mm-hmm. whole summit. This is why I love this day, and mm-hmm. I've become so. Uh, it has become so deep for me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, congratulations on that. And now it's time for the lightning round. Lightning round. <laughs> All right. Where is your favorite place in San Francisco to get a burrito? I have keto. I don't <laughs> eat burritos. Oh my gosh. I, I don't have one. Okay. Oh, oh no, the place, I don't even know the name of it, but it's at the bottom of Castro Street uh, at 18th, and I go in there, and they make it for me without anything but, like, it's like chicken and, <laughs> and salsa 
and then you they, won't ever eat tortillas. You were telling us earlier that you took your tortilla off your breakfast burrito. This yeah, morning. and it was disgusting. Yeah, yeah but um, you're just anti-tortilla. I'm no, I just have suddenly look in the mirror and see a normal sized <laughs> human being, and that's because of the keto diet. So I'm not can't okay. quite give it up yet. <laughs> What's your favorite movie filmed in San Francisco? Uh, it it has to be What's Up Doc. Mm. Um, because Madeline Kahn is so brilliant mm-hmm. in it. Where do you like to go for a stiff drink? <laughs> My kitchen. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I think I just answered that. What's My your kitchen. favorite thing to drink in your kitchen? Uh, My husband makes a, an excellent um, uh Bullet Rye Perfect Manhattan. The other place I like to drink is at my friend Robert Mailer Anderson's house, mm-hmm. and he makes the most excellent um, martinis, mm. uh, gin martinis. So I actually like my friend's houses <laughs> and nice. my husband. What was your first concert? Oh, this is embarrassing. <laughs> Christopher Cross. Yes. I just said it, everybody. Yeah. In case you were thinking I was irrelevant, I'll just double down on that one. What was- at the Cow Palace. Ooh. Yeah. What was the last book you read? White Fragility by Robin D'Angelo. What is your favorite depiction of politicians in movies or on TV? Mm. Oh, my God. Veep. Oh, yeah. That's a good one. A hundred percent Veep. Yeah. And right behind that would be The Candidate with okay. Robert Redford. Okay. What is your all-time favorite play? The Seagull by Anton Chekhov. Mm. There are quite a few things named after your family in San Francisco, including an elementary school and, obviously, the huge convention center. Is it still weird to see your name on buildings, or are you used to it by now? Yeah, well, I don't uh, – uh, uh, This is a, I would really suck at – wait, wait, don't tell me at the end. Um, uh, you know what I don't like? I love the George R. Moscone School because it's his name. Mm-hmm. The convention center is called Moscone. Mm-hmm. I don't like that because mm-hmm. it's just divorced from the person. Mm. Um, so I have my most favorite is the school. My least favorite is the convention center. Mm-hmm. Lastly, what is something you always make sure to squeeze into your busy day? My dog and I always go to DeBose Park. My little teeny dog, Lucy, and I let her off the lead and I just just – hang out with everybody there. We don't really know each other's names. Mm-hmm. But we all get to talk and she runs around and um, it's the thing that just keeps me f- from focusing on myself uh-huh. and it just roots me in my evening. That's great. Well, thank you so much for coming. It was really fun to talk to you. It was fun, Heather. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks to Jonathan Moscone for being here today, to King Kaufman and Karen Creighton for producing this episode, and to you for listening. San Francisco City Insider is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Audrey Cooper is the editor-in-chief. If you like this show, please subscribe and give us a quick review wherever you get your podcasts. Support San Francisco City Insider and a lot of great journalism with a print or digital subscription to the San Francisco Chronicle. Find out more at sfchronicle.com slash subscribe.